welcome to the latest podcast from Wednesday's Child. I've got Sarah with me again today. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. It's all starting to feel like the world is slowly returning to some level of normalcy, isn't it? How are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, okay, thank you. I was in a Middlesbrough Town Centre yesterday for the first time with Amy, so we, had, we ventured to the shops, um, obviously before we've all got to wear our masks next week. And uh, it, was, it was quiet to start off with, but then it definitely, you could feel, you know, it was definitely building. Yeah, strange, isn't it? And yeah. actually, the, the whole thing about masks, it's really weird how divisive it's been. I've spoken to some people who are all for it and saying, you know, should have done it from the outset. And then other people saying, oh, it's, a, you know, it's taking away my civil liberty and I'm really annoyed. And The one thing, I tell you what I've realised about masks, which is a real strange one, is um, how much I obviously rely upon actually lip reading when I'm um, speaking to folks. Because obviously I'm not deaf, so that's not something that I need to do. But obviously I must have been spending many, many years focused on people's mouths during conversations. And the amount of times that I can't, like, I can't hear or I just don't really understand what, what's being said. Uh, I feel really aware of, I've got quite expressive eyes and I, I do a lot with my eyes, I think. And I realised that actually when you've got the mask on, people can't judge where, what sort of mood or, you know, yeah. and, and I'm kind of relying on my eyes to convey what I'm trying to say, which is Yeah, yeah. and I was walked past them the other day and um, we just sort of like looked at them and I did say to Amy, I said, oh, it's a real shame because you can't, you can't tell if people are smiling at you or not. And she said, oh, you can, man, because, you know, the wrinkle of their eyes. So you, you're dead, right? You do, but it just feels really odd. But we need to do it so we absolutely need to do it. we do yeah yeah so um several really kind of interesting topics i thought we'd um touch on today one of which is something that i'm very aware that i was guilty of and i see a lot in the eating disorders community and i'd be really interested just to talk this one through with you is about the whole thing of showing up mm -hmm. and it, it's something that I know I was I was definitely guilty of it when I was really entrenched in my illness about kind of thinking I had every intention of showing up and then failing to do so. Does that chime with anything that you can kind of recollect? Yeah, definitely. And I think there's there's a couple of layers of that, isn't it? There's like the physically showing up to events or to friends' houses or whatever, but then there's showing up and then actually showing up in terms of spirit. So you might be there, but one eye or one part of the head's always focused on that na nagging dark voice and then there's also there's the element of kind of showing up for recovery every yes. single so i think there's actually like what you've touched on there is three very separate but very crucial parts of what real recovery would be yeah absolutely and almost there's a danger isn't there of thinking that by saying that you have physically gone somewhere or you have attended and it could be like attended a friend's um, you know gone to somebody's house or it could be attending a counselling appointment or going to your GP to get weighed you attend but are you really there are you really present or for me it was kind of yes I did agree to go to that family meal or whatever it might be but actually there was just this sullen you know not very pleasant part of me that was in the room but the sort of good 95% of me was lost in my eating disorder world thinking about everything but the people that were around me and you're not you're not being empathic to folks you're not really engaging in conversation your, your thought processes aren't in that particular moment um but it does it doesn't take long to to kind of to get yourself trapped in that in that mindset and, and that feeling but what I found really really strange is 
you know, I might have said no to my friends or it turns up and not really been in there. But if I'd been at a workout in the gym, I was 100% there. Oh, because that's the thing that Alexia wanted me to be, to, to be doing. Yeah, and, and that would have been the commitment that would have freaked you out if you thought you had to cancel it or, you know, if you had to be given any excuse to legitimately not be there. That was the one that you would have moved heaven and earth to make sure you did. Yeah, and some of the things I remember is like going swimming with, with the kids and my own kids or friends' kids or whatever. And like I had to, I had to keep swimming, whereas the whole point of being there was to actually be, be uh, doing stuff with kids. Actually, the best example I've got of that is, uh, do you have colour runs where you are? You ever seen a colour run? So, um, oh, I, I know what you mean with the, um, all the powder. Powder, the, the powder yeah. yeah. So there was a... Um, it would have been 20, uh, late 2017, so before I started services. And um, there was a colour run in the local park and Amy wanted to go, so we went. But I was like, I was so, such a horrible person to be with because all I was worried about was doing the run. Like, right. it, I just wanted to, get, and I wanted to keep, I wanted to do it quick and I wanted to do it well. And I was like dragging this, what, what should be nine at the time, nine-year-old round. And I think back to events like that, think, God, look, you, I, I, just me, Sarah, just wasn't in control in any way, shape or form. And actually, do you know what, Sarah, there's so much that um, I have a level of sort of recovery remorse and that guilt and that real quite a sadness when I look back on some things like that. And I, I think it is one, you know, probably an entirely separate conversation to be had at another time. But I think there is that remorse and regret that you actually have to start to come to terms with when you become well because there will be things where you look back and think I behaved like an utter shit or I didn't much like who I was or I didn't behave well to that person who may or may not even be with you anymore you know and I, and I think sometimes we, it, we can make it worse on ourselves to kind of go forward in recovery because we still carry the spectre of actually not being a very pleasant person during that time but there's a there's a huge element isn't there of forgiveness and your own compassion yeah. in there that's yeah, because you did right you know I look at photographs of, of family events or um things that I just wasn't I like you said wasn't literally wasn't there for or and wasn't present in the moment and um and I do look back with a real sense of sorrow but I have to keep reminding myself that that wasn't my fault you know it wasn't my fault that that was occurring and it wasn't my fault that that was what, what was happening for me um but that's why I suppose the third strand of the showing up bit is is really committing to real recovery by showing up for recovery and I say this often it's, it's I often find whether you with the people you speak to or or, or or talk about support with eating disorders is that it's almost like we we fight recovery in order to support anorexia. And I think when you're in real recovery and you're showing up for recovery every single day, you're fighting anorexia. That's what you should be fighting. And you're showing up for recovery. Um, but that's the bit that's so bloody hard. Yeah, and, it, and it's hard. And it's also hard as the person that is supporting someone to say the harsh stuff that, you know, actually, I'm sorry, Debbie, but this isn't tolerable. You have to show up. You have to do this. You know, I'm sorry, but I can't accept you keep not turning up when you say you're going to come around or meet us for coffee. Or, you know, this is the third time in the last six weeks you've turned us or you've agreed to come around for a meal and then you've just not shown up or you've said you've got a tummy ache or... And I'm seeing it a lot with Wednesday's Child. We're arranging sort of one-to-one -one therapy appointments for people. And then the number of times that we get emails or calls, just, well, not even calls, it's rarely calls. It's usually that sort of, what's the least I can do to connect? And it's usually an email or a text that says, 
I just wasn't feeling it. I'm really sorry. And, you know, I'm torn because I know what that feels like to be in that mental health state of distress where it is really difficult to make yourself go to something, even if it's an online appointment. But it's, it's by turning up, what you're doing is taking away power from the eating disorder. And so your eating disorder is going, you don't really want to go to that appointment. You don't really want to do that. No, 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 you don't want to give that time. And that can be really difficult. So it's, you know, as somebody that desperately wants to see everybody in recovery, sometimes it's really hard to play that gentle voice of saying, I get it. I can understand. You found that really difficult, but also wanting to say, this is where it starts. You have to bloody do it. And do you, I don't know, do you think that that's a fault of the way in which we sometimes treat eating disorders? Are we? Are we sometimes a little bit soft? I mean, I remember being in group therapies and things and people saying, you know, oh, it's okay if you don't, it's okay if you don't. And I remember at one point thinking, but actually it's not okay if I don't, because if I don't do this, whatever it was, if, if I don't put cheese on my bolognese, then I'm never going to put cheese on my bolognese because I've not fought that behaviour. Um, but like you said, the figure is so real. And I think that's where kind of, People such as us, you know, experts with experience, really have got to be so much more involved in recovery yeah, and treatment because it's okay. Some Joe blogs with a million qualifications saying this is what you should be doing, but it's not actually until you sit. Like you know, I've got so much from you, Debbie, because we've got. Oh my God, yeah, I did that. <laughs> it's that like, it's that crazy realization that the the figure is yours because it's your illness, but it can be a collective shared experience as long as then you use that experience to keep fighting anorexia and supporting recovery. And this, this is where I realised where it's really tough for GPs and nurses because actually, you know, with all the medical training they've got in the world, they find this stuff around eating disorders really bloody difficult. And I gave a presentation um, a week or so back for 65 registered nurse practitioners. Now, a lot of them are kind of on that frontline thing of somebody comes in and they're being told they've got to weigh them weekly or whatever it is. And, you know, some of the things I was saying them they were sort of almost shocked about they were saying oh you know I feel like I need to dip 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 tiptoe around that person with the eating disorder and not upset them because they don't want to offend them and whatever but you're quite right Sarah sometimes we've got to get into a slight not bullying way but slightly more kind of okay let's get a grip now what needs to happen for you to make a change next week and I say this to parents all the time the number of times I get a parent on the phone saying you know, my daughter's called me from inpatient and she's in tears and she's telling me I've got to go and pick her up and she's going to change and everything's going and, and I always end up saying, you know, okay, but just remember who's ruling who in the house, you know, who's ruling the roost because she may think that this is, you know, she has every intention of getting well, but this is where you have to stop being soft mum and dad and you have to say, do I want this to continue for my family? forevermore and that's not about being cruel it's just about accepting this is a vile illness where that voice will be so loud and so strong so those of us that want recovery for that person have to be louder and stronger yeah and it's, it's acknowledging how how strong and how horrific that can be and what i mean i can't imagine what seeing someone in one of those proper episodes that you and I, you know, we've been through a million times, but what looking at that from the outside in must be like when you're looking at someone you truly, truly love. You know, when my husband would come downstairs and he would see me on the kitchen floor, what that must actually have felt like for him to see this woman who he loves 
do that, but know that he couldn't then take the pain away. He couldn't. He knew that the the process, the pro, the painful process was the medicine. So therefore, having to watch someone go through that, I mean, that must be really awful. But you know, when you're on about like doctors and nurses and what have you, and the, the struggle that they must be in, I don't know about you, Debbie, but I didn't have any insight into my illness until way into treatment so if I didn't have any illness into any insight sorry into what it actually was and what it meant how it manifested then someone on the outside is going to have that even less surely yeah I think that's quite true and I I think in a way that's almost what makes us feel more um, angry and frustrated because we don't understand ourselves so we can't articulate to other people how they should be helping us and all we know is that the busy dialogue in our head is with the thing that's actually trying to kill us and actually won't ever be satisfied until we're six feet under ultimately. It doesn't matter how little we eat, how much harm we do to ourselves, but the one conversation we're having constantly is with that eating disorder. And that's and I think some of that is about where you're at when you're in mental hunger. You can't possibly formulate what's going on here. And when we talk about showing up, often I think about how much, this bit often baffles people that haven't had an eating disorder, is how much your brain thinks about food. So I could be sat in a therapy appointment, I could be sat with a client, I could be sat in a university lecture, I could be sat with my mum and dad, I could be holding my niece, you know, cradling her hours after she was born. And I remember this, I remember kind of having to postpone going into the maternity ward because it was limited hours. And holding my newborn niece, and I see my brother and my sister-in-law sat opposite me, and instead of, and I was looking at her all adoringly, and all I was thinking is, now I've only got a bloody hour left to eat because, you know, my window is so short, and what am I going to get home and eat now, and oh my God, and if they hadn't have opened the doors, and oh, and all I was thinking about was my food and my hunger. And yet people that haven't ever had an eating disorder think, we never think about food. It never goes on in our head. See, I, I, I struggle to, because, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm long, long way down that recovery line. But I do, I do wonder if that would be the, the sign of, like, like, full recovery, where you just suddenly wake up one day and you're not suddenly kind of, you know, your first thought isn't about breakfast or about whatever, you know, whatever you're going to be doing that day. Yeah, it, it's, it's just it's so impulsive rather than, you know, your, your brain engages to think yeah. about it first. But a, but a lot of that also, you know, I, I have conversations with people who don't have an eating disorder and a lot of, lot of that process is because of the way we are conditioned um, as men and women in the particular, in, you know, in Britain, you know, we are conditioned to be having plans and, and, you know, tracking things and following this ideal and that ideal. And, and, and there is a part of that that I do think is just the condition of which how we become as a society. You know, every time you turn on the TV, there's someone else trying to flog you a new diet regime or a new healthy eating plan you know I turned 40 last year and one of the first things people started to talk to me is about my nutrition for 40 year old health and at the time I was like bloody hell I just need to eat first (laughs) let's get that out of the way first please and then well but then I but now I think well surely good nutrition for a 40 year old is just really good food what you fancy yeah. when you Absolutely. fancy you know don't attach an age to it exactly. and it's just it's all about if, if you're not if you're not mentally healthy around food then it doesn't matter how nutritionally beautiful that food is it's never going to do any good 
because frankly, you know, Cocoa Pops and Watsits probably aren't the staple food that a 40 year old woman should be having. But frankly, in recovery, you know, I mean, for me, I went back to wanting kind of Frosties with top of the milk just because that I just needed you know sustenance and I needed happy food and you know sometimes like you know if I'm kind of with my nieces and stuff and they're having things like you know alphabetti spaghetti and stuff and I'm thinking oh actually I'll skip you or have some of that you know whatever it is I'm not going to try and have posh adult food just because I think I should exactly but a huge part of it, isn't it it's about the, your body starts to crave that stuff because you've been denying it for so long so you know your frosted shreddies and your alphabetti spaghetti but also it's about reading training your mind that you're allowed that you're allowed whatever you want regardless of whether you're 10 20 50 100 if you want alphabetic spaghetti you can have alphabetic spaghetti you don't have to have kale and kumquat you can have whatever the hell you want to eat um and your head's not going to fall off and your family aren't going to leave you it's just you know it's again it's retraining the fact that you are allowed to have whatever, if you want an apple, have an apple, but if you want a Mars bar, you're allowed a Mars bar too. And it's, it's, it's retraining that part of yourself as well. It is. And, I, and I think this is what's, like you say, where we're at with society and the kind of narrative we see in the media all the time. I think it is going to become harder and harder for people to unpick their way out of an eating disorder when all the time we're getting so much messaging around what's right and wrong to eat what's good and bad and even yesterday I was looking at the news and they were talking about kind of Boris's um, big thing about obesity again because obviously you know he considered that factoring in getting COVID and oh Boris is going to do this to stop people eating and Boris is getting so many celebrity chefs on to talk about how we shouldn't have sugary foods in the kitchen now this is a really fine line for us to tread because of course we all want kids to be healthy and to understand that actually walking to school drinking a can of monster and eating chocolate all day isn't great for them but we also need to be aware that we've got a bloody big problem in this country with eating disorders so if we pedal down the route of just one campaigning message around obesity in 10 years time all we'll have is people so screwed up around what they should and shouldn't eat that not only are they disordered eating but the children that they go on to create will have really disordered food relationships i want my daughter to know that as she was intuitive when she was eight she should still be just as intuitive when she's 14 15 you know yes i want her to drink water because it's good for you yes i want her to have her fruit and vegetables but i also wanted to know that she, that food isn't a it's not a judgment thing and it's not a it doesn't make you be, a better person because you don't eat um chocolate raisins you know it doesn't make you a better person because you don't go to mcdonald's once a week it, it, it's that kind of that making sure that whatever rhetoric's coming out about making sure people are fit and healthy that it, it, it also shows that actually fit and healthy is the head as well and it's about what we're constantly thinking about about ourselves if we're eating something and it's making us feel horrendous about ourselves be it because it's a healthy thing or not healthy thing, that that's the bit to crack it's, it's what's happening in our in our mind really yeah we can we can eat the most virtuous stuff in the world and be quite devoid of a personality as i'm sure you can remember and ultimately hospital yeah absolutely yeah but i do think from the showing up point of view i do think for me it's trying to remind people that are in eating disorder recovery that you're showing up every day for recovery 
and that is so hard and the fear is so real and the spins and the the distress is so, it, it's so understandable and so recognizable but every single day you have to make those challenging decisions that shows up for recovery and I, I would also go so far as to say, I think if anybody's struggling to do that showing up thing, they could almost, as an exercise, it would almost be like, how am I failing, writing down, how am I failing to show up? And what should I do to make sure that I am showing up? Because I think excuses are common. And because we know that the general, you know, you and I live in very different parts in the UK, but we can reflect similar experiences, not every part of the country has got a great eating disorder treatment service so if somebody is in a part of the country where actually capacity of that service means they can't get in or there just isn't a good eating disorder service or they haven't clicked with their particular therapist or whatever that would become too easy for that person to see to say you know oh see i was motivated to get well but because my service isn't there i can't there is no eating well actually that's when you have to say well you have to pick every resource out of the toolbox and you have to say i have to look up online i have to find friends i have to find family members there is a way there is always a way and if you're not careful these things can become excuses not to commit to recovery. You don't need someone else's permission to get well. You don't need someone else to tell you you can have an extra 50 milliliters of milk on your meal plan to get well. You don't need someone else's permission to, have, to say you can have an extra afternoon snack to be well. You know, and that was what, that's just something that I remember, I remember coming across and people really believing in, in you know, that meal plan was, was the, the gateway to getting well, but every little tiny thing on that had to be reviewed and checked because that was about that person had so much fear in making that decision to, to eat more themselves that they needed someone else to give them that um, permission. permission. But then it was a tiny, tiny extra additional. And I, that, that phrase now, it, it just boils my piss. You know, oh, can I have an extra? Well, what, what the hell's an extra? It, yeah. Just stop it, it like, oh, and, and look, you can hear, I, I find it difficult to articulate how to actually get around that because that is having such a fixed mindset on what you're giving yourself and you're being allowed to have yourself that you're seeing yeah. every little thing as an extra. I'm, I'm not comfortable with meal plans that nutritionists give in eating disorders community support sometimes because I think meal plans can almost become more the stick than the carrot sometimes. And even since lockdown happened, a couple of phone calls and emails I've dealt with have been people saying, um well i couldn't get this from the supermarket so now i can't stick to my meal plan what you know yeah. um somebody else says to me well i can't get my repeat um i don't know if you've ever had insure or fortisip you know the kind of the, the most yeah oh i can't get my repeat prescription of those so i, I won't be able to stick to my cal- well hello you know make your own milkshake you can get those calories elsewhere this is now where you step up to the plate and you say, how else can I keep myself well? I may not be able to buy this, but I can replace it with this. I may not be able to get this fortified milkshake off the doctor, but I can sod him while go in the kitchen and stick some milk and some oats and in a smoothie maker and make something better. And I think it's those sorts of things where if we're not careful, a food plan can be worse for you in recovery. Yeah, I mean, the first time I started to get obsessed with measuring and weighing was down to my having a first ever meal plan. Um, now, arguably, I know before that, I wasn't weighing and measuring, but I wasn't, I was barely eating. So therefore, you know, the, the, the two come in hand in hand. But, um, but yeah, I do, now on reflection now, when I look back, 
I do think that, that the meal plan for me got me very, very stuck for, for a lot longer time than it needed to. And it was when someone asked me actually the other day, how did you get off the meal plan? And, and I just remember walking out of a, a therapy session, group therapy session, and I was just fuming. I was just so angry just about everything. And the first thing I had to hand, it was, I just had this like crazy folder because I was, you know, like a lot of us, I had to be very organized. I had to look like the best patient ever. And I just grabbed the meal plan out the folder and I just ripped it into pieces. And I was like, Get, get rid of it, get rid of it. Um, so, like, I didn't ever come off my meal plan. I just got really angry with the fact that I was being controlled by the illness, which yeah. then, but then, but then, don't get me wrong, you know, the days and the weeks after that, it was torture. It was awful. But it was, it, it was the mechanism to start getting me where I suppose I, I've got to. There's, there's a fine line, isn't there? Because I think structure in anything when you're trying to recover in any way, whether you're recovering from an operation, you know, whatever it might be, I think there's a degree of a need for how do I get myself well? Every, yeah. You know, is it physio? Is it whatever? You know, you would have the steps that help you recover and get well. But as we know, for anybody that's had an eating disorder, anything where you put structure in place, then we can become so obsessed and compulsive about that structure that then it's another thing that's hard to break. And I, I did um, something the other day talking about how we, you know, the danger now of what the pattern we've created since lockdown is this new normal. Well, are we now entrenched in a new normal, which was it is equally unhelpful because now we feel we can't step away from that routine because for the last few months we've done it this way. You know, you know, you know yourself. I class myself as as recovered i suppose i did until a week ago but i've had a really really rough week this week in terms of um ed thoughts and going back over stuff and i posted on insta about yeah I, I went i went out for tea for the first time since lockdown and um i chose my thing without problem and you know choices for me used to be a big deal and the waiter came over and it wasn't available and i just went for the first time in months into an absolute spiral i just couldn't choose and the only thing i can put it down to is because my new normal had become regimented again you know, we'd got into a really routine at home. I was comfortable. I was quite clearly eating comfortable foods again. When I think about what I'd chosen off the menu, it was probably something that I was recognising that I'd been having at home. And then suddenly I was confronted with, oh, you can't have it. So we said last time we got together, didn't we? We shouldn't feel ashamed of having to sometimes re-get out your toolkit again. No. And go back through some of those processes because we have all been in lockdown. We have potentially gone back into a couple maybe behaviours that we haven't realised that we've gone back to until we've been thrown back out into the big bad world again. So just take your toolkit with you. Just have it in your handbag, you know, metaphorically, yeah. and just know that, that it worked before and there's nothing wrong with trying to get it out again to help you out, out into the new normal. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think, you know, anything with the recovery journey, it's like, it's okay to have a day where you take a step back, you pause, you worry, you, you know, and it doesn't feel as easy as yesterday did. That bit's okay. Sitting down on the floor, crying again, and then relapsing, you know, to six months previous, is just not okay. That's where, you know, feeling sorry for yourself does not work for anybody. You've got to wear your big girl pants and get up again and say, right, come on. I've had my day feeling sorry for myself. Now it's it's time to get up again and, and pull my armour on. Without doubt, that's I think that's a slight difference as well with adult eating disorder recovery, isn't it? Because as a grown-up, you have to do that yourself. You know, you can yeah. get your support from lots of other people and, and husbands and, and partners and mums and grandmums and what have you will help you out loads. But as a grown-up, ultimately, you are you have you have to do it for yourself because you have to keep 
earning a wage you have to keep paying for the rent you have to keep you know there's lots of so it's kind of we can get as much support as we possibly can and you know i'm all for creating your team and creating your gang around you to help you out and your tribe but ultimately you have to show up for yourself because you're a grown-up and you've, you've, you've just got to do it and it is too easy to pass that level of blame and that culpability onto, oh yeah, but I couldn't because my mum didn't have this cheese in the cupboard. I couldn't have that because she didn't replace the cereal that I like. You know, I, I, I did that. I did a lot of that. But actually, you know, it's only you that can take ownership of your recovery. As you say, in conjunction with your tribe, yes, for sure. But actually, you want recovery. You deserve recovery. It's you that's going to get yourself well. And it's going to take ages. That's the thing. And I think, and that sounds really negative. And I'm sorry, people listening that want a quick fix, but it takes it. No, it, it, it was a full year for me to, to get to a stage where I thought, right, I think I've got a handle on this now. And I wasn't recovered after that year, but I thought I'd kind of figured out things and, and yeah. things are about to move forward. You know, you read on Instagram and things, don't you? Where people have said, oh, I've been, I've been doing this for a week now and I'm not feeling any different. I'm sorry, but you're not going to. It's going to be a long haul, but the long haul is a lot shorter than the bullshit that's gone on before, and that long haul is much shorter than the wonderful life that's coming up. So um, so it is worth it, but you do have to, like you said, get your big girl's pants on, dig deep, and it's just be patient with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think a lot of just, just that we're, we're not kind of shaped for recognising what a level of patience it is that we need to get the other side of this. And again, it's another sort of one of my frustrations once you come out of, say, impatient, if you've gone that route, that feeling that you walk out the door, even if they've got you to a certain weight or whatever it might be, the work happens then. The work happens when you're kind of out in the real world and, you know, there's a bloody long way to go. And I think sometimes we are really hard on ourselves because we underestimate how long it's going to take to be in a more normalized way of life. And, you know, is there a point at which all of us do just wake up and not even kind of think, have I exercised? Should I have breakfast now or wait another hour? Is there a point? I guess, you know, for an awful lot of people, that complete food freedom is possible. But actually, it could take you years, but it's so worth it. Of course it is, and it's just going to be years also of having the blinkers on. You know, we can feel the marketing engine going crazy at the moment. There's going to be the post-lockdown fitness gurus are going to come out, the post-lockdown meal plans and diet plans. They're going to be in the newspapers before we know it. And it's having those recovery blinkers on because that's not for us. That's for a different type of, of, of society. That's for different people that are on a different path to us. Our recovery blinkers are just going to ignore all that, and we're going to keep eating our frosted shreddies or alphabetic spaghetti or whatever yeah. it is that at the time we need to know to get ourselves well yeah so um, just while we're kind of we're talking about you know that emergence out of lockdown and some more changes we talked earlier about how face mask issues changing anything else that's kind of coming up for you in that sort of post lockdown i was starting to think about how a lot of people are thinking about holidays now and maybe considering family holiday times and how that could be really stressful for somebody that's still in recovery I don't know if you can recall any times when you've gone on holiday with your family when perhaps you were slightly less recovered than you thought you were countless I mean there was a couple of holidays that I actually didn't show up for so going back to our other things so a couple of holidays where we got close to it and then I just said I'm not going um so my husband and daughter went by themselves or they went with their family without me um 
I remember a, a caravan holiday that was just a shambles because you know everyone else was having all this wonderful time and what was I doing yet yeah, that's right I was running um, and I was you know not taking part and not eating and oh I can so relate I was recalling the other day, the other day. I, I remember um, my uh, my parents had organized a barge holiday <laughs> barge holiday honestly <laughs> and I was so deep in my anorexia and so it was my brother my mom and my dad on a barge and what did it do it did nothing but rain and you know I mean it was just it was the worst of all worlds and I just remember being so cold and so tired and just oh just such an ugly personality just so unhappy and I look back and I just think nobody enjoyed that and um, my dad recalled the other day actually he was saying you know we, we, we did just make a decision um about the second night from when we should have gone he said I just said to your mum let's go early let's let's just admit defeat here and I look no, back no. on that and it breaks my heart because family is so precious and now you know mum and dad are getting on a bit and you think gosh you know what I wouldn't give to just actually have played that game of Monopoly in the barge when it was chucking it down with rain and not being thinking about food, you know? But it's, but it's also, it's then just once now we are recovered and stronger, how we can make that kind of a better experience going forward, isn't yeah. it? So obviously it's the summer holidays here and now we only left primary school. I can't believe it. She left primary wow. school on Thursday last week. So um, she's always wanted to go just me and her camping in a two-man tent. Um, I hate camping. I just shouldn't put that uh, there now. But um, so from a showing up point of view in the past, I've just well, the reason why it's taken so long is because I've always said no. But uh, next weekend we're going to Whitby. Oh, I've borrowed my, my, borrow my sister's little stove. Um, we've bought a lilo. And uh, so, yeah, so her and I got two nights in Whitby next weekend. So that'd be cool. And she's, um, she's already got, you know, everything planned with fish and chips and lucky ducks and oh, you name it. You know, we're going to have a probably a very wet but a very canny time. But is it um, interesting because when you talk about holidays and you just sort of said fish and chips, you know, I think when we think about holidays in, in normal, recovered, well, happy lives, the things we associate with holidays are actually the foods that we're going to choose to eat, you know, those sorts of things that we're going to kind of, I don't know, the, the things that bring us together. And so much of that is about feasting and enjoying meal times, isn't it? Because it's all about the idea of kind of just total relaxation, I suppose. The way that we live in holiday is the way in which you should be living in recovery. It's that element of kind of just, just throw caution to the winds and stop listening to things, you're on your holiday, relax, chill, have a nice time. Yeah, if you ate 40 minutes ago and you still want a bloody ice cream because there's a nice Cornish ice cream and then you want a cream tea because you're in Cornwall, well, why not, you know? Exactly. I remember going to France, um, I was about, about 22, 23 with my mum and dad and... Uh, my dad and I almost challenged each other to see who could put on the most weight in a week because we just were going to, we were, the whole point, we, we hadn't been for ages and, and we, my mum and dad are real foodies and the whole, the, as soon as we got to France, I was like, right, when can we start eating? <laughs> oh. Anything possible. Um, but yeah, but I just think it's also, it's that, the, 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 I think the difference is, is that then when you're thinking about planning a holiday, it's not about planning around the food and the exercise. It's actually about planning the holiday. And like you said, the food is a massive part of it, but not in a controlled way. It's a massive part in it in an enjoyment way and in a having fun way and a testing things out. You know, I just love the fact that now if someone someone's bought an ice cream, you have a nibble of an ice cream without even 
fat in an island, then you go back and get your own, you know, whereas before you'd just been stood there without your ice cream. Um, I know I love all that, you know, someone says, oh, do you fancy one of these? Oh, try this, this is gorgeous. Oh, okay. Um, and you try it, if that's yeah. the whole point. It is, and I, and I think the other thing I would say to that, to anybody that's going through recovery and is now about to go away with family for a holiday, don't rely only on only wanting to eat when other people eat. So if you walk past an ice cream van, but actually you fancy an ice cream, but your other members of the family don't fancy one yet, if you're hungry and your recovery journey tells you that you want that, that doesn't make you greedy. It doesn't make, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to eat at a t different time to somebody else. And I, I think we have to remember in recovery that actually that extreme hunger kicks in for an awful lot of us once our metabolism has been going again. You don't need to wait and only eat because your husband, partner, dad, brother wants to eat at that time. So if you're ready to eat again or you're ready to eat two scoops of ice cream or you want to go back for a second helping of something in a restaurant, just do that and, yeah, and don't yeah, judge yeah. it against what other people are eating. And I, I, I think that's certainly a mistake I've made in the past of almost feeling quite freaked out by the amount I could eat once I was able to. But it's just your body waking up, isn't it? It's your body saying, my God, you've starved me for so long and now you're going to actually eat. And now I can smell that amazing hot dog or whatever as I go past it. And all I want is a hot dog, even though we only had a sandwich half an hour ago. But then, yeah, like you said, though, you should just definitely, without doubt, just go, go and have it. And, and but also, 100% go with your hunger, 100% go with what you fancy. You've been denying yourself for so long, so really take the opportunity to kind of, you know, to grasp it and, and to have a lovely time. But also, beforehand, before you go, if you are on a, you know, your recovery journey, I think it's really worth having a conversation, a really honest conversation with the people that you're going with, with, look, I know we're going to be having a nice time, and I know we're going to be doing X, Y, and Z, but I've also got to have my eye on my recovery. I'm showing up for this holiday. I'm absolutely determined to be part of the gang on this holiday, but I might still need your support to make, just, just to check in on me, that I am still having my breakfast. Because also on holiday, people will push things back because you might have had a late night. Well, that again, that's a great excuse for an erectile not to have breakfast. Um, so it's just making sure that you've had those conversations with people that are around that says, look, I'm showing up, I'm going to come, I'm having a lovely time, but I am going to potentially need your help just to make sure that recovery still has that momentum. And then when you get home, don't use the fact that you've been on holiday as an excuse to slip back into any behaviours. You have nothing to make up for because you had a lovely time on holiday. Far from it. Use that holiday as a springboard to make the rest of your life as wonderful as you possibly can do. Don't then go back to, oh, I've got a better make up for that holiday. No, no, I had a great time. I did X. Now let's do everything else as well. Yeah, oh, that so reminds me of that kind of, you know, I think any holiday I ever had, it was like the, the time before it, I'd start restricting even further because I thought I was going to eat while I was away. And then when I'm away, I was really restrictive anyway and still keeping up with the exercise. And then when I got back, I was still convinced that I was, need, you know, I must have put on weight because I've been away on holiday and I've been out of my routine. So then you eat and you restrict and beat yourself up even more. So actually you just get yourself in a worse situation than before you've gone. Yeah, you get iller and iller and iller, don't you? And, and therefore, there's no point to go on the holiday because you've, you've actually, it's been a mechanism to make you even more proven. And let's face it, what do you want to do? Swap your suitcase on your vacation for coming back and two weeks later, you're packing your bag to go into an inpatient unit. None of us want that, do we? No, no, thank you very much. I'll keep my, uh, my swimming costume in my suitcase and I'll keep yeah. it. Yeah. Oh.
Well, on that note, I'm thinking about your swimming costume, and I don't, I don't know if you're going to get much um, swimming in on your camping holiday, Sarah. You might just have to uh, pray for some, at least dry weather would be nice. If we're looking at the long-term weather forecast, I think I'll be my fleece and my wellies, but <laughs> we'll have to see. Fingers it, but it'll be something to, it'll be a memory, and we should all be about chalking up the memories, even if you're sitting in the rain eating your fish and chips, then that's what it's all about. So, Next Sunday when we normally do our podcasts, I'll be uh, in a campsite with no Wi-Fi. So when we get together next time, I'll fill you all in about um, a month of, of uh, camping in Whitby with an 11-year-old. Oh, I look forward to it. All right. Well, it's lovely to chat to you again, Sarah. You take care. And, and I want to care. see you the other side of the holiday. Yay. See you soon. Take care. Bye, everyone. Keep strong.